we know that disabled people, queer people, people of color, the system is designed to make it more difficult or impossible for them to build wealth. So having these blanket statements and then really hunkering down on those that if you're not doing it, it's a you problem. I just feel like it's really harmful and it only paints part of the picture that fits his narrative. Welcome to a Sunny Side Up Life podcast, a show for the woman who is ready to live an abundant life full of freedom and positivity. I'm your host, Sammy Womack, a nationally recognized money expert, budgeting coach, and your very own hype squad. I'm on a mission to help you break free from survival mode, gain financial freedom, stay motivated, and focus on what matters most. Join the movement and let's start living on the brighter side of life together. Hey guys, I'm so excited to announce that the podcast is converting from ongoing episodes to seasons. This will allow me to interview more impactful guests and take a much needed rest throughout the year. As a business owner, homeschooling mom, merchant marine wife, and person just trying to live an intentional life in this crazy world, this new format will be the best thing for my mental health and wealth. This season will include 12 awesome episodes with impactful topics and amazing guests. I am so excited to share everything that I have up my sleeve. Thanks so much for hanging in there through these changes. And as always, I appreciate your support. Today's episode is brought to you by the Price of Avocado Toast podcast. Price of Avocado Toast is the podcast for everyday humans looking to hear stories of triumph, advice, and all kinds of money talk in a no-shame conversation. Join my friends Haley and Justin weekly as they push to normalize finance talk among millennials through interviews and their own chats as a young married couple. You'll gain insights into successful strategies for managing your money all while feeling like you're sitting down with your closest friends. No guilt, no humiliation, just real raw honesty sprinkled with a bit of humor and grace. If you need those cheerleaders on your debt-free journey or just want to join in on the energy of this young couple, then The Price of Avocado Toast is the podcast for you. Subscribe today wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks again to The Price of Avocado Toast for supporting this episode. Just a reminder that everything discussed in today's episode will be linked in the episode show notes. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at A Sunny Side Up Life. And if you're ready to take control of your money and need guided instructions, check out my free budgeting challenge by going to asunnysideuplife.com. Now let's get into the episode. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another great interview. I am so thrilled to be talking to one of my favorite creators and disruptors in the personal finance space. Lexa Van Dam is a queer identifying personal finance coach and creator of the Avocado Toast Budget. She joins the podcast to discuss her mission to teach people how to save, pay off debt, invest, and finally feel confident with money. We discuss her entrepreneurial journey, why she thinks Dave Ramsey is old news, and how to succeed with money while living with a mental health disorder. Lexa has been featured on Business Insider, Time, and CNBC, and has a social media following of over 500,000. Personally, Alexa is a huge inspiration to me as a content creator in the personal finance space because she's always speaking the truth and sticking it to the patriarchy on the daily. I am so excited to welcome her to the podcast. All right. Welcome, Alexa. I am so excited to have you here. Hi, I am so excited to be here. This yes. is going to be awesome. Yes. So Give us a little bit of a background on who you are, who your brand is, what you do, and all that good stuff. Yeah. So my name is Lexa. I run the Avocado Toast Budget. I am a queer personal finance content creator. My pronouns are she, her. And I just like making content that helps millennials and Gen Z feel more confident with money, kind of cut out all of the BS and all of that shame to just be able to start understanding how to manage our finances. I love it. I love it. I love everything that you do, which I said in the intro that you're a huge inspiration to me personally. Like I constantly, it's my nature is usually like, well, I just want everyone to get along and like, I don't want to push anybody's buttons. And yes. <laughs> then I see people like you, like content creators, especially in the personal finance space that are like talking about some of those hot button issues. And I'm like, Okay. Yeah. But they're right. And like, you know, it, it kind of inspires me to, you know, talk about the things that are a little more controversial and might upset people. And like, that's just not my nature. Yes. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like, ah, I don't want to, I don't want anybody to get mad and I don't, you know, 
So I'm constantly like looking to inspiration for, from people that are a little more outspoken. So I appreciate your outspokenness. Um, but I would love to know kind of (laughs) what inspired you to begin the avocado toast budget and how did you find yourself as a full-time content creator? So it was, it was definitely not planned. I started the ATV back in June of 2020 and really it was just meant, I started as a blog and it was an anonymous blog and I really was just using it as like an outlet to talk about personal finance and everything that I was learning because I grew up knowing nothing about (laughs) budgeting, like like a lot of us, like (laughs) didn't learn anything. I did have one personal finance class in high school, but it was literally nothing but Dave Ramsey videos, which we'll talk about. I'm sure. Yes. Yes. We will. My feelings on that. (laughs) But I just felt like I had no idea what was, what was going on for so many years. And I spiraled into credit card debt. And then as I was kind of learning how to budget in a way that worked for me and how to manage my money, I was realizing how powerful just education can be and talking to people about these things, because I also before doing the ATB, the reason I started it as an anonymous blog too, was that I didn't want the people in my life knowing about my debt and what I was struggling with because there was just so much shame around it and no one else was talking about it. But I ended up in like the end of September of that same year, I was just thinking about like, I had been doing the blog for a while, but I was how do I connect with people the most? And the answer to that, like online was TikTok. Yeah. It was still 2020. No one was going anywhere. (laughs) My phone was like my whole life. And I was like, maybe I could just put a few videos out there. No one will probably see them, but I can start connecting with people like on a platform that I consume content that way. Yeah. And within a month of creating content, I went from zero to 50,000 followers And then within six months, I had over 400,000. So it just kind of spiraled. Yeah. (laughs) And led into, it kind of got to the point where I was like, okay, I either need to, I'm going to have to step back from doing this or not see it go where I think that it could go, or I'm going to have to quit my full-time job (laughs) because I didn't have enough time to do both. And by April of 2021, I ended up quitting my day job to run an AT full-time. And it's been Absolutely incredible. Yeah. And that that just kind of goes to show you that it's, there's such a need for it. The fact that your following blew up like that is just people are like starved for the truth. They're starved for real conversation. They're starved for stuff that is just not, I don't know what the right word is. Dave Ramsey ish. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was afraid that that wouldn't go well because when I started talking about my finances, I thought I was alone in it. I thought I was alone in struggling with credit card debt. I thought if people knew that I had $20,000 of credit card debt and couldn't keep any money in my savings, that this whole facade of a like well put together person that I had worked so hard to uphold would just come crumbling down, which it needed to anyway. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But it was amazing that when I started opening up, I was just met with everyone had their own stories. Everyone was struggling with something with money. There wasn't a single person I told in my like day-to-day life that wasn't feeling very similar to how I was. Just no one was talking about it because we were all so scared and we were waiting for that little opening to be able to like swing the door open. But that door was like really held shut for a long time. And it's, it's so powerful when we start talking about it then we can, we start feeling like we can actually tackle it and that we're not alone and deconstructing a lot of that like shame we feel around money. Yes. Yeah. I I love that so much. And that's one of the first things that I tell my coaching clients is, you know, the very first call with people, usually they'll start to apologize. Like, Oh my gosh, I know it's messy. I'm so sorry. Or, you know, they have like five bills are coming on this credit card and five more on this other credit card. And some are coming out of their bank account and they don't know. They're like, I don't know. Or they don't know the amounts for things. They don't know for sure how much debt they're in or what their interest rates are. They just don't know all of it. And it feels very messy. And there, everyone always apologizes. Like, I'm sorry. It's so messy. I'm like, literally every person when they first start, it's messy. 
Yep. You're not alone. And it's just <laughs> reminding people all the different things of you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. They're like, Oh, I, I went over budget on this category. I'm really bad about going out to eat. I'm like, yeah, we all like to go out to eat. Like definitely you know, not alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's just like so much of our calls are just getting that shame out of the way and just reminding people you're really not as alone as you feel it's, you shouldn't feel shame. It's okay. You're normal. And just kind of breaking through all of that. And I just think that it's so, so important. So when it comes to budgeting, what do you think most people have trouble with and what are some of your solutions to some of these problems? Yeah. So I think that there. I mean, there, it, it depends on the person and everyone is struggling with their own right. things, but three things I see very commonly. And that I feel like a lot of us share in whenever we're trying to create a budget or we're trying to figure out how to manage our money and it never ends up working. And like the age old, I'll create, I'll, I'll spend hours creating a budget that I think is like the perfect budget. That's super complicated. Yes. <laughs> and then inevitably I don't stick to it. I'm lucky if I stick to it for like a week. Okay. Mm-hmm. Lucky but it doesn't ever last. And I hear that over and over. And that was my experience over and over. And I just thought that it meant that there was something wrong with me, that I sucked at budgeting, or I was just out of control with finances. But usually it comes down to overcomplicating things, setting unrealistic expectations, and our tendency to compare our journey to either someone else's or what we are being told it should look like, or what we just think it should look like. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, there's so many messages from social media, from what we learned as a kid, just from little things that we pick up about what our life and our finances and our journey toward whatever our financial goals are should look like that we forget sometimes that everyone has their own struggles and supports. And even if you find someone who you think, oh, they're making just as much money as I am. Why can I not save yeah. the amount they are? Why can I not pay off all of this debt? but not considering everything else that goes into it, their cost of living, just the resources and the tools that they have. If they've had education before, if they have extra time or energy to be able to spend on learning about personal finance. And there's so many nuances to it that I think sometimes we just get caught up in the, what we quote unquote should be doing. Yes. And I try to take out the, that idea of like should, because it gets us really messed up and it it often stops us from figuring out something that does work for us. I love that. One of my pet peeve kind of questions is like, what's a normal grocery budget for a family of five or family, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And what's a normal, I just hate that. Like what's normal. There's no such thing as normal. There's, I mean, yes, you can do like the average rent is X, Y, Z, like the average, you know, this, but there's, like you said, so many things. And a lot of my clients are moms. A lot of them have, you know, different amounts of kids. Some of them are single. Some of them are work outside the home. Some of them work at home. Some of them stay at home, like all the different there's. So even if it is a family of five, for example, well, how many partners are there in the child raising? Mm. How many, you know, all the different yeah. things. Where do you live? What are your dietary restrictions? Because that plays a role in your groceries. What is your mental health like? What what is the rest of your family? What is their mental mm-hmm. health or physical health? Or I'm just like, there is no such thing as normal. And we just we want to fit. We want to fit, yes. which is like we want to fit in. And, and I get it. It's human nature. It's how we find safety and security. And I, I have a tendency to want to do that too. I want examples. I want to know in theory, what (laughs) is that like a good place to start? Maybe it's not what I should be doing, but I'll probably tell myself that it is. Right. And that's the tricky part is that in some ways, I think that giving like numbers or examples can be super helpful, but it can also, it's almost impossible for us to not compare to that to not be thinking either, oh, wow, I'm doing so much better than that. Or, oh, wow, why can't I do that? Why am I not fitting into this? So it's real, it's hard because we want that so badly. And I understand why we want that, but it almost does more harm than good. 
Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite analogies that I use with my clients is it's usually around food budgeting in one way or another, like grocery budget Mm -hmm. or restaurant budget. And it's like, yeah, okay. If you want to challenge yourself, great. I'm always up for a challenge. Sure. But like setting a realistic budget, realistically, are you really going to go two weeks and not go out to eat at all? Really? I mean, you could set yourself a little challenge where you're like only on Fridays or like whatever. Great. Perfect. But like there comes a point where you're trying to fit yourself into a box that you just don't fit in. Like, yes, come on, you know, or oh my gosh, like single moms, especially several of my clients are single moms. And I'm like, you're really not going to go out to eat at all. You're not going to be exhausted and want to just pick up food or order pizza or whatever. That's just the reality of your life. Absolutely. And there's no shame in that. Yes. Yes. But we feel so much shame. Like I, whenever I talk about like the kind of the start of my financial journey and like the first steps I did, I usually tell a story about how, when I sat down to look at how much I was spending the past month, I had found out that the month before I had spent almost a thousand dollars on eating out. Yeah. And at first I was like, Oh my God, like I I did not have a thousand extra dollars. If you have a thousand extra dollars, that's fantastic. Yeah. I wish I had a thousand extra dollars to spend (laughs) on eating out. I hate cooking. Yeah. But I felt so much shame and guilt. And I was like, this is why, like, this is why I've been avoiding my finances. I didn't want to know this. How am I supposed to recover from this? That's so much like quote unquote wasted money. And then I took a step back and I was asking myself like, okay, it started off as ju- definitely internal judgmental questions of like, how did you get here? But turned into more of like empathetic questions of like, how, how did you get here? Like what, what yeah. is contributing to this? And at the time I was getting my master's degree. I was working full time. I had ADHD, but I wasn't diagnosed or medicated at that time. So I was struggling, trying to just exist in life. Then I was in a really toxic and abusive relationship, just trying to get by. So of course, like after a long day, I didn't want to come home and think of something to cook. Probably had to go to the grocery store because I never had food. Mm. Cook it, clean up from it, and then eat. That wasn't happening. So yeah. of course I ended up just spending money on eating out and I wasn't keeping any track of my finances. So I didn't realize how that was adding up. And in an ideal world, I don't want, I would rather put that money toward something else. Right. But I was doing the best that I could with the resources and the tools and the time and energy that I had being able to practice that empathy with myself is very hard and I'm definitely still not perfect at it, but it, it gave me something to work with. Yeah. And I also think like you were saying, like the tendency is to be like, oh my God, then I can't spend anything on like, eating out. Like this has been stop. never doing it again. We're done. <laughs> we're done. Canceling the DoorDash membership, yeah. buying a bunch of groceries. I'm definitely not going to cook. Right. <laughs> we're done. And in, and that didn't work. Obviously that's just, I feel like it's setting yourself up to fail and then you're going to feel shame that you failed and then you're just going to spiral more and just, yeah. Cause then I think it's a me thing. I I created this budget that was never going to work for me because it wasn't based off of realistic numbers and what my life actually looked like, but I feel like a failure because I didn't, because it didn't work for me and therefore I didn't stick to it and something must be wrong rather than looking and saying, okay, whether it's a small challenge or just cutting back a little bit progressively at a time to be able to learn and adapt and figure out where is that sweet spot for me to try to shoot for that balances being able to put money toward other things and the things that I want and saving and any other goal I have while also recognizing that I'm still allowed to spend money and live life right now. without that being a reflection of a moral failing or who I am inherently as a person. Yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh. That's such an important conversation. Oh my gosh. It's it's just, it's so good. (laughs) It's so hard. Yes. So what are some of the, the solutions for some of these things you see people kind of doing this? What advice would you give to those people that just struggling? So I always, always give people the, like, heads up to try to be as gentle with yourself as you can. Any tips that you you find, any steps you decide that you're going to take, start off going in as even like objectively as possible, trying to treat it like this isn't you. This is just like someone else and understanding that 
you're, you're doing the best you can. And hopefully we can like start moving forward in a direction that makes you feel more confident with your money. But then I always recommend the first thing I always tell people to do because that had such a profound impact for me. And I've seen it so many times is to go back and review your spending. I usually say, ideally, if you can print out all of your bank statements, credit card statements, anywhere money is coming in and out of for the last like two to three months, if you can only do a month, that's fine. Start there. But sometimes like we have weird months. Yeah. We spend like, way well, more. Well, that's the reason why that one was. Yes. You know. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes it's better to get an average, but even just going through and like highlighting things by their categories mm. or adding up how much you're spending on things like bills or eating out fun money, the kids, if you have any house pets, anything like that, it has such a profound impact on oh, this is where my money is going because a lot of us don't know. You mentioned that at the beginning that a lot of your clients, and I think we feel shame because we think we're the only ones. Yeah. No, no. If you, if you are not actively budgeting right now, chances are there are mystery bills. You're not quite sure what they are or where they're coming out of, or there are annual expenses that completely like, oh yeah. Yeah. I still, I still do that sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Every once in a while, I'm like, oh, Oh, oops. Yeah. And that's why you have emergency fund. That's why you have sinking funds. That's yeah. Yes. Okay. You build yourself a safety net. It's fine. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But starting and because then that also gives you the ability to create a budget that is realistic for you and to know where to start. And in my experience, like in, in my example of, I was spending a thousand dollars a month on eating out. Maybe my goal is $300 a month on eating out, but trying to cut $700 a month yeah. worth of eating out mm-hmm. overnight. That's a lot of probably meals. was not going to work. Yeah. yeah. That's a, it's a big change because our, how we're spending our money is usually reflective of our life and how, like where our time is going. That's a lot of change overnight. So instead having some goal in mind, but being able to set realistic small goals toward that bigger goal, it just ends up creating, helping you to create a budget that like you have a much higher chance of actually sticking to because it's reflective of how you're actually living in your life and spending your money right now. I love that. That's, oh, that's so good. So kind of on that tangent, you mentioned like ADHD and I know we both talk a lot about like mental health disorders and like all that kind of stuff. So let's go into that a little more of advice for people who are like, well, (laughs) okay, but my ADHD kicks it like, you know, or, you know, I'm going through a depression spell for me. It's like, it's my depression. It's like I solo Mm -hmm. parent half the time. So I'm alone with three kids. I homeschool them. I run a business. Um, that's a very different life than the times when my husband is home and he's like, here to help me parent and cook and do all the things. Our budget reflects that in a, and it took me so long to kind of get in that routine because my, my depression will kick in. My anxiety is like, I'm overwhelmed. I can only do so much, you know? So we all have our own stuff going on, whether it's ADHD or depression or anxiety or trauma or whatever else we're struggling with. What are some pieces of advice for those of us who kind of struggle from time to time. Yeah. So my biggest thing that I kind of give as like a blanket, if you haven't tried it yet, try it out is to whenever you're feeling like you have more energy or you have a chunk of time or you're in the mood to kind of work on your finances is to automate whatever you can. If we can do the work to help future you, that is going to help so much. And that was like a game changer for me. Because honestly, the, the ATB started off as like, I was definitely hyper fixating on personal finance. And it was definitely like a very like niche hobby that I was into because of my ADHD. And in the moment with my ADHD, I feel like I'm going to care about this just as much as I do right now for the rest of my life. Yeah. Despite the fact that everything in my past has shown that that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. But when, so I was convinced of that. So I set up all of these like really complicated, amazing budgeting systems that worked great for the moment that I was in. But then when my depression would kick in or I just wasn't as interested and did not care to keep coming back to my budget, it all starts to fall apart if you don't have a system set up already to kind of help you in the background. So 
I'm automating your finances can look a thousand different ways, but I usually just tell people to like start with making sure whatever bills that you can have are on auto pay, trying to set up any like at least minimum debt payments on auto pay. And then I sometimes talk about like the three account system or the mm -hmm. three category system, which is your bills, your spending and your savings. So having a savings account where you transfer money automatically into that savings account that can go toward your emergency fund or other like larger expenses we often forget about. We often refer to those as sinking funds, but they're yeah. things like car repairs, um, back to school, home maintenance, those expenses those that don't things. come around. Yeah. That we want to pretend <laughs> yes. like we don't spend money on, but we really spend like thousands yes. a year on. Yes. And then somehow like every time I'm shocked that my car that is like yeah. 15 years old somehow has an issue with it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I could have seen this coming. What? My car is brand what? new. And then you start counting and you're like, uh, uh my car, my car is an 07. I have yeah. over 2000 <laughs> miles on it. And every time I'm like, how dare you? My, my driver's side window just stopped rolling down. And oh. so I'm literally at the McDonald's drive through the other night with my kids, like opening the door and my kids are in the oh. back seat, just like busting out laughing. They're just like, <laughs> just trolling me. They're like, mama. Oh my God. This is so embarrassing. I'm like, shut up. Like my car is old. <laughs> so I'm like texting my husband. I'm like, oh my gosh, you've got to get my window fixed. And I'm every time I'm like, how dare you not roll down window? And I'm like, Shock. who could yeah. have seen that coming? Yeah, no, absolutely no. not. My car is brand new, brand new. Yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> Have you been feeling like you need a little extra support on your budgeting journey? Well, that's exactly why I offer one-on-one 12-week -on -one coaching sessions. They are designed to give you fully personalized budgeting support. Together, we'll organize your bills, spending, debt, and savings goals, and I'll help you get a system in place that will set you up for financial success for years to come. I'll be there to hold you accountable, talk you through building new habits, and help you adopt a positive mindset towards your life. Visit asunnysideuplife.com slash coaching to apply today to see if coaching is right for you. Now back to the episode. But yes, but I, I love that. And I, and I think that the automation is so important and I would give the automation advice to basically anyone because oh, yeah. I mean, even, even if it's like, well, I don't have ADHD, that doesn't apply to me. Or I don't really struggle with depression. That doesn't apply to me. Well, do you have like a, a life? Like, do you have a job or a family or friends or hobbies? Or like, would you rather be doing something other than budgeting? Probably. Mm -hmm. Even yeah, I would sometimes, <laughs> I, even I have my budget on automation and obviously I'm obsessed with budgeting. Yes. Not my own budget though. I'm like, eh, boring. Yeah. I could, I could be doing a podcast right now or something, you know? So I do the same thing because like I get busy. I have a million other mm -hmm. things I'd rather be doing than worrying about transferring. Even I even transfer my spending money. I transfer my mm -hmm. CD funds. I, you know, I have as many bills as possible on auto pay. Like, and I tell my clients the same thing, like, yes, at least minimum, like to savings. If you mm -hmm. end up having an extra hundred than you thought you can go and manually transfer it. Yeah. But if you got busy, at least you didn't waste that 200 that you put on automation. Yeah. And at least, you know, that you're covered, especially yeah. if like you have, I know it can be really hard to fathom automating everything if you either, if you have very small or no gap between your, yeah. your income and your expenses, but just knowing that if life gets busy, if you forget, if you just don't want to come back to your budget, whatever it is, knowing that at least you're covered as much as possible is huge. Yeah. And like you said, like, this is our passion. This is our job. Like, this is something that we love to do, but Sometimes I just don't care. <laughs> yeah. It, it, my own budget is not near as much fun. Like no, as talking no. about it, creating content, coaching clients, like yes. my own budget. I'm like, Oh, these are like real bills. This isn't fun. You know? And so I'm just uh, as much automation as possible. And if I happen to be in one of my low depression days where I'm like stuck in bed, that's the last thing I want to do is pull myself mm -hmm. out of bed and transfer money different places and like do the math and like, mm -mm. Mm -mm. I'm like, I'll Absolutely do the not. bare minimum is on automatic transfers on auto pay when I'm having a good day where I have some energy, then I'll go in and do the other stuff. If that's what needs to happen. Same thing with investing. Yes. 
Like, oh yeah. Bare minimum. I wouldn't invest if it wasn't automatic. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Same. I I would have something much more fun to spend that money on. And my husband definitely would, because he's definitely the spender. He'd be like, oh, extra money in the account. Like, no, no, no. So important. (laughs) I can relate. Yes. So important. So, okay. So we kind of hinted to it earlier, but let's just go ahead and just talk about Dave Ramsey. We have to get it out of the way. Let's do I know it. it's a huge <laughs> part of your platform. So let's just jump into like just three. Cause I know if I let you just, I have to limit the number. Cause you could probably come up with That's like a hundred, but <laughs> let's just talk about at least three of your biggest issues with Dave Ramsey. Yes. So I always like to preface by saying that at our core, Dave Ramsey and I have very different views, very different beliefs on what makes someone a good human. Mm-hmm. and just different ethics and morals. So getting that out there, yes. <laughs> that a lot of the issues that I have with him, some of it is just like strictly differing opinions on finance advice, but a lot of it, it goes deeper than that. And that's why I talk about it so much. If it was just that, like, we had different views on like how you should save for an emergency fund or what you should invest in. I would probably let it go. Yeah. (laughs) Because whatever, there there are so many people that we have different views and that's fine. But for me, it was Dave Ramsey. Like I said, he was the first person that I really, and I think that that is true for a lot of people ever encountered in the personal finance space. He's a very big name in the personal finance space. All of his videos, that's all I did during personal finance classes was watch them. And even in high school, it like hit me as something didn't feel right, but I really just didn't care. So I didn't listen to most of it and I let it go anyway. And then when I was getting into trying to figure out how to manage my money, when you start typing in like how to budget on YouTube or just these different search terms around figuring out how to manage your finances, he often pops up. So I was like, okay, like I remember this dude from high school. And very quickly, I started to realize that there were some things that didn't sit right with me and didn't feel okay. So first thing, first off, and I'm big about this is shame and guilt around money. I, nothing, nothing ticks me off more than hearing him call the people who, so on his show, people call in with questions and these are people who, I mean, money is hard to talk about. I don't know if I ever would have been brave enough to call in. I and used ask to listen question. to the show and I used to like get nervous for people Yes, because like, I'm so empathetic. I would just be like, Oh my God, she sounds so scared. Yes. Or, and it's know. scary. <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh my gosh, trying to, and getting to a point where like you, you feel either out of control with finances or you don't know what you're going to do. And you feel like you're at a point that you can't dig yourself out of and being brave enough to like be vulnerable and say that to some stranger on the internet and millions of people. (laughs) It's, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. So then to hear him refer to people that are calling in as like stupid or moronic or lazy, depending on their views or if they're talking about a partner, it just like breaks my heart because I know, and we talked about this a little bit at the beginning that that shame that we feel around money is often like one of the biggest and first barriers to tackling our finances. Because if we can't talk about it, if even just like ourselves and like be honest with ourselves about it, chances are, we're not going to be able to get the education and the resources that we need to start tackling it. So I imagine if that were me, that that would be it for me, I, oh, would, I would, yeah, I couldn't even call. And if I did call, yeah. I would have just, I would have just cried. Like there's no yeah. way most people can't even talk to their partners, their friends, their family, like their most trusted mm-hmm. people, because it's so shameful and scary and full of guilt and just, oh my gosh, it's so hard. Yes. And like you said, your clients come in and they're apologizing profusely because they feel like they have just failed. And I'd be nice to them. And and it's still still like terrible. (laughs) Absolutely. So I feel like it, it has to reinforce all of these negative things that we're saying about ourselves and the way that we tend to attach our worth to our net worth or ability to save or how much debt that we have. And that just really irks me because I know how hard it is to start undoing that from the people that I have talked to and just people telling me stories in the community. That is one of the hardest things to undo. So 
that was one of the first things that was like a red flag for me yes. was just that name calling and attaching some sort of like moral worth to the financial decisions that you've made. The second thing that as I started to dig deeper really didn't set with me was not only like the, the lack of diversity, lack of diversity in the sense of not recognizing that as a rich white cis straight male yeah. who's Christian and has like a lot of that following with him. He has so much privilege that many people who are listening to him or reaching out to him or might might be able to access the education that he's providing don't have. Yeah. And I think that as personal finance creators and educators, it's our job to talk about that and to keep that in mind whenever we're creating content and whenever we are giving advice, because he does, you don't exist in a bubble where only people who share the same privileges you have are listening to you. And again, that can just start to perpetuate the shame and this idea of like, I did this or so-and-so did this. So why aren't you? And I hate that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. And just like not recognizing it is huge. And then also not you, like if you do have that privilege, use your platform to help those who don't have the privilege, like, hello, use your money to help those who don't have the privilege (laughs) to just like recognize that you have the privilege. Stop like underselling it. Just be like, well, I don't know. I worked harder than you, I guess. Yeah. And I, and I think that's what it all comes down to, right. Is like what he is saying, whether he is saying it, which he will just say it straight up or whether he's coding it in these other messages is this idea of if you follow exactly what I'm saying and can't deviate, then you should be like, there's no reason why yeah. You shouldn't be able to do all of these things. And that's, we just know objectively that that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> we know that pe- disabled people, queer people, people of color, they have, the system is designed to make it more difficult or impossible for them to yeah. build wealth. So having yes. these blanket statements and then really hunkering down on those, that if you're not doing it, it's a you problem. I just feel like that's- it's really harmful and it only paints part of the picture that fits his narrative. And it's not helpful. Like it, because it's not realistic to say, well, I don't understand why you just couldn't go do this thing or, you know, like tell, like telling a single mom, I don't understand why you just can't go get a second job. Like just have a side hustle. Like, are you serious? Like, you know, or just things like that where you're just like, um, well, maybe that's not realistic for everyone. And then you're just like, well, I guess it doesn't work for me. And then people just give up. Or oh, yeah. they feel bad because about themselves saying, and yeah. Yes. Because he's saying this is the way to do it. Yeah. This is the right way as if there's like really anything in personal finance that is like the right way. Yeah. And yeah. if you aren't doing it, it's because of you, because there's no possible way that it yeah. could be a fault of, and it doesn't even have to be the fault of the system. It could just be the fact that not one thing is going to work for everyone. Yeah. And I often, whenever I talk about him and talk about the issues that I have, I often get pushed back from people who really, really stand Dave Ramsey that yeah. he's rich. So why would I listen to you if he's like worth a ton of money, which doesn't make any sense to me yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because a Dave Ramsey got rich off of giving financial advice. Right. Which yeah. I, I totally understand. That is me, but I'm, I'm definitely not rich. Okay. But like, I understand I make money right. off of giving financial advice. But the, the final, the final nail in the coffin for me with Dave Ramsey was I was like, I started to like get into my blog and like get into Instagram and stuff. This was way back, like 2016, maybe like, mm-hmm. you know, Instagram was kind of like, eh, it wasn't like a full thing yet. Um, and I was like, oh man, wouldn't it be great to like teach one of his classes? Cause like, I'm, I'm like seeing, Hey, mm-hmm. this is might be part of my journey. I feel, I can like yeah. feel this is part of what I'm supposed to do. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And I got really pumped up and I called and I talked to them and I'm like, okay, so like what do I make off of it? You know, I'm thinking like, I'm going to get a cut. I'm going to get paid. Yeah. I'm going to get like a commission. I'm going to do something, something. No, no, no. It's a volunteer, but like people have to pay like over a hundred dollars to take the class. Mm-hmm. And well, most people do it as a ministry. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. Like, 
So unpaid, there's a whole bunch of unpaid unpaid labor labor that he got rich off of. Yes. And I'm just like, that is not his labor. What? To clarify. He literally (laughs) did nothing. Like he developed the course and like put his face on it and whatever. And then like, that's it. And everyone else then found all the work. Yes. And then found out that he found a niche group that he could really convince that it was the ethical thing for him to be asking free labor of them. Yeah. I was just like, and and then just like all, like all the rose colored glasses started to come off after that. Mm. And I was just like, that's probably not right. That's probably not right. And I started to like see it all. And I was just like, what is happening? It's like, when you like come out of like the fog of like a cult mentality where you're just like, yes. Oh man. There's a lot. There's a lot. So absolutely. There, it it usually from talking for people who you, cause I know tons of people who were really, really dedicated to his program and loved it and taught the program, taught classes, were so involved. And it's usually that one thing that kind of starts yeah. making you ask questions that for things that generally you ignored, because another thing that I hear a lot is like, well, he's done so much good and yeah. I can hold space sure. for the fact that he has helped people, but because you're, you're rich and you have helped people that doesn't hold, that doesn't mean that you aren't held accountable for your actions okay. and for the harm that you have done while also helping. He could just as easily give people who teach the class a commission or something like any other, like affiliate program, any other would, I mean, that just seems so normal. Yes. (laughs) He could very easily do that and very easily afford to do that. And that, that, that would just be such an easy solution to that one particular problem. And it just, it's not happening. So one one more issue, one more issue, and then we'll move, we'll move on to something else. So my third thing that I was thinking about that I wanted to talk about yeah, is, and, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, is that his in either inability or not wanting to just change and evolve and grow. We see this in like small things from the fact that like baby step number one is a thousand dollar emergency fund. It's been a thousand dollar emergency funds from since the nineties. Yeah. So even just objectively keeping up with inflation, it would be at least $2,000. Yeah. Not a little bit more today. I did. I did the math on it one time. Yeah. Yeah. Some, something around that. Yeah. I did the math. I don't remember exactly what it is, but the point is that in 30 plus years, it hasn't really changed. And we see that a lot with everything about his program and his way of thinking. I don't, I'm not this. I mean, I was born in 96, but I'm not the same person that I was 10 years ago. And I hope to not be the same person that I am 10 years from now. And I hope that I can look back and say, Hey, you know, like maybe these things I was teaching these things that I thought were integral, maybe I've learned more and I need to adapt that I need to change. Maybe I was really only considering a very limited perspective from someone who had a lot of privilege. And now that I know better, I'm going to do better, but he knows, he knows what he's doing. He sees the feedback. He sees the comments. He, I'm sure he gets updates from his team. He knows the impact that he is having and the issues that people have. And there, and I get it. Like I, I get being a content creator. I get being bombarded with thousands to millions of people's opinions at a time. And you have to be able to filter that out. But part of being good at your job is filtering out the people who are just mad to be mad and the constructive feedback of people trying to tell you when you're doing something wrong, or maybe there's something that you're not seeing, or maybe you've done harm that you didn't mean to do. Yeah. And I'm not here for someone who is not willing to grow and learn and listen to other voices or at least telling them at the very, very least keep up with inflation. (laughs) (laughs) If nothing else, dude, that a thousand dollar emergency fund. Okay. (laughs) At least, at least. And I get it. Like it's nice. And like, clean cut and he has little like posters and little like graphics I and I get it but like you can edit graphics <laughs> you can yes. afford to print more posters and more books and a thousand dollars isn't gonna it it, it yeah. is a ton of money I I yes. always want to preface that by saying when I was thinking about saving an emergency fund my goal was I th- was like a month of expenses and I think at the time it was like twenty five hundred dollars and that felt like so much money. So I understand that it is a lot of money, but to have it in the way that he does, where yeah. basically what it's saying is that is enough 
to get yeah. you by until you are debt free. That's not true anymore. It's not. That's true not even true for like ever. I, I'm like, single and I have no dependents and I have a relatively low cost of living. I live in a low cost of living area. That's still not true for me. No, that no. probably wouldn't fix most issues with my car. It wouldn't cover a month of rent. And that's the point of an emergency fund is to be able to financially help you through those unexpected expenses or job loss or just the things we don't see coming. And I have heard so many stories of people being put in really compromised positions because he just refuses to adapt like one little one little thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I always tell people like start with something, pick a number that like feels good or pick like one month's expenses or pick like one month's income or, and and for every person, I even think that that can't even be like a clear cut. This is the only way it's like, well, I don't know. Like, you know, usually with my clients, I'm like, well, one month's income would be this one month's expenses would be this number. Maybe like pick something in the middle or pick something slightly higher. If that makes you feel better. I don't know what feels safe to you. What do you think? And we kind of discuss it. And then from there, I'm like, yeah, but okay. But also remember, don't stop there. Like let's get there. And then we'll go to like the next goal and then we'll keep Mm -hmm. evolving and go to the next goal. But like, what's a starter, you know? And that's not that hard of an explanation. <laughs> no, no. Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. So kind of on that tangent, you were talking about how, you know, Dave Ramsey is full of shaming people and telling people, well, they're just lazy or maybe they're just dumb or whatever. And that's really common things that I see in your content alive saying like debt is morally neutral. Yes. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yes. I wish I could just like shout that from the rooftops because it's what I needed to hear. And trying to, when I was coming to that like revelation and deconstructing all of that shame, it made such a difference. So usually when I say debt is morally neutral, you're not obligated to be debt-free. What some people can hear is stop making payments on all of your debt. Take on however much debt that you want, no matter what, (laughs) Who cares about your credit score? Who cares about the consequences? Don't even worry about paying it back. Yeah. That's not, no one is actually doing that. No, nor is anyone on the internet encouraging people to do that. Right. What it means is that for me in a system where we have to be constantly worried about being able to afford basic human needs like food, shelter, medical care. Yes. Our inherent worth is never going to be attached to how much debt we have or our net worth. And if you are in a position where you don't want to be debt-free or you don't want to be making extra payments for your debt, or even if you just can't even make minimum payments to your debt right now, that is not a reflection of you being a bad person or a moral failing on your part. And I think sometimes that's really, really hard to hear at first because it goes against almost everything that we've been taught (laughs) about our, our worth being tied to money and our finances. And it can be kind of scary to let that go too, because so many of us have that notion that who we are is attached to how much money we have in our bank account or how much debt that we have. But I think it's a really important message to hear because it starts allowing us to be able to deconstruct that shame that we feel around money. And that's not to say that if you want to be debt-free, that's awesome. That's a fantastic goal and it's totally worth working toward, but it does, it doesn't have to be. And in a system that's designed where 90 to 99% of us are going to be working for insane hours and struggling to be able to just keep afloat so that the very top one to 9% of people can make a lot of money. I just, I don't see how there could possibly be a moral attachment to debt. Right. Yeah. I see it all the time. I see, you know, I've had clients where, you know, a one income family, the mom, you know, the wife, she's like, crying. And she was like, I'm a bad wife. I'm a bad mother. Mm -hmm. Like, why can I not make this work? Why is it like, you know, and just really feeling like her whole worth is tied up in the fact that how come she can't make her family's budget work? And she's like, what else can I do? What else can I do? 
and they're already only driving one car. They already are renting. They can't afford to own a house. They already are, you know, she's already like meal planning and like doing all these crazy things. Mm. And she was like, why can't I be better? Why do I suck as Mm. a human? You know, basically is what she's saying and literally crying on a coaching call. And I'm just like, you're doing your best. (laughs) You're doing your best. And we're like, go through all the things you can't do this any, like you're, you're doing your best. And I just feel like sometimes we need to just realize that we're doing our best and it's not, and it's hard to realize that for ourselves. (sighs) I don't know about you, but for me, I am so much better at practicing empathy for other people. And even I have to remind myself of the same things that I'm telling people every day, that those things also apply to me because I can hear that and be like, oh yeah, yeah. Debt is morally neutral for literally everyone else. Yep. Except for me, because clearly I'm doing something wrong. (laughs) Everyone else, I understand they're doing the best they can, but not me. (laughs) And it's hard for us to be able to accept that. Like, no, that means me too. Like that means that I am doing the best, even if it doesn't feel like it, even if you don't feel like you were doing your best, I truly believe that everyone is doing the best they can with the resources and the tools that they have been given. And I think being able to notice that in ourselves too is really hard. And I think that I'll probably spend the rest of my life trying to do that and trying to learn that. But coming back to that gentle reminder is so important. Yeah. And and I try to teach that to my kids, like while they're still little and kind of like get it ingrained in there and I'll even do it myself. And like, I'm if I'm really like having a hard night trying to like get dinner ready and get the house cleaned up and get everybody ready for bed and like do all that end of the day stuff with like no energy left. I have literally sometimes started crying and just being like, I'm doing my best and just like crying on the floor. (laughs) And I see them copying that they'll, Mm. you know, do something, get very upset and they'll be like, well, I tried my best. And I'm just like, yes, yes. That's beautiful. (laughs) Let yourself cry on the floor sometimes and just like, yell, I'm doing my best. That's all I can do right now is my best, but Yes. yes, I love it. I love it so much. So I know one of your other like main topics is really trying to get the conversation towards queer folks and saying like, Hey, we're facing more challenges. We're facing these different challenges in personal finance. What are some of those challenges that they're faith that you guys are facing, like that other people maybe are not. And why is that conversation so important? Yeah. So I think looking at how queer people both struggle and succeed and feel confident with money and feel not confident with money really is a great example of how everything in life and all of the systems of oppression and all of the things that we struggle with comes back, either comes back to money or plays a role in money or vice versa. Because when we look at statistics on queer people, we have higher rates of homelessness, higher rates of depression and other mental illness. And All of these things play a role in our ability to make money, save money, build wealth, be able to manage our money, get access to education on money that I think that there's a a lot to be said about not only like access to personal finance education, but access to personal finance education that feels relatable. Because I think that those two things are very different. In high school, I had access objectively to personal finance education, but it was never something that I saw myself in. And if you don't see yourself in it, it's not going to work for you. If it doesn't speak to you and your struggles, it's not going to be effective. And I think that that's a really important part of the conversation when we're talking about trying to find ways to start evening out the playing field for personal finance education and helping more people to feel confident with money is that conversation around making sure that we have voices and people who are talking about money in ways that someone else, like everyone has someone to relate to. And I I think that that is so important. Yes. I 100% agree. 100% agree. I love that so much. It's so important. You just don't want anyone to feel like this doesn't apply to me. This is not a conversation Mm -hmm. for me. I don't belong here. Like you don't want anyone to feel like that for any reason. So I love the, I love the diversity in the personal finance community. And I love that there's more and more. And I love that people are just like, 
this is who I am and you're welcome yes. here and this and that. And I think it's just, and we need um, that because important. I think that, I think it's important that no matter what privileges you have, that you can talk about and honor the fact that there are systems of oppression that affect people who are not like you Yeah. when you're giving personal finance content. But I also understand that that's not the same thing as having someone who looks like you, having yes. someone who has the same abilities or who, if you're a disabled person, having a disabled person talk about money. If you're queer, having a queer person, if you're a person of color, having a person of color, that is so important. And I'm so thankful that we have so many amazing voices in the personal finance community, because I can hold space for the fact that as much as I can try to create a place that feels inclusive for everyone, everyone deserves to be able to look at someone and say, you get it. Like yeah. you're giving content that I feel like I can relate to no matter what that is. Even if it's just the fact that I don't have children and I know that because of that, there's going to be things that I can never fully yeah. relate to and understand about people who do. But the fact that there are other people who I can say a huge list of people who I can recommend yeah. that is so beautiful and so important because I know that like, that was not there weren't so many voices that had a platform and that people yeah. knew about and anything like that, even five years ago, yeah. even a few years ago. And I think that that's going to be so helpful in making personal finance feel more accessible. Yes. And I, I it makes me so hopeful for, you know, Gen Z and cause they're like, adults yes. now and it's crazy. And then, you know, my kids, they're like, I guess Gen Alpha is like the next generation oh, coming. I know <laughs> like what a name, my little alphas. So Ooh. yeah. And, and just like the way that they see the world, they have so much access to the world. They see the diversity, they see like conversations happening and, you know, my oldest is 11 and she constantly, she lives her life through TikTok and YouTube, like most teens and preteens yes. do now. <laughs> and she comes to me and she's like, like political, like issues and all these things. And she's like, mama, I heard this on TikTok. What is this? Like, explain this to me. Mm. And the way that they just, oh my gosh, it's, it, it will make you so help, hopeful for the future generation because like, it's not going to be as hard for them. They're, they're going to see people represented in media and everywhere that they can identify to. And it's so, so important. I love it. Oh, it's so important. And I, I talk about this a lot because people always ask me with being on social media, like, what do I think about it? How do I feel about it? And I think that like, you can hold space for the parts of social media that do perpetuate a lot of harm, but I also know for a fact that like, if I had even just scrolling on TikTok and seeing like people who look like me, seeing other queer people, just seeing so many other things that being able to see people who you see yourself in is so important, but also being able to hear the voices of people who you wouldn't in a day-to-day, you wouldn't get day-to-day interaction with. I know that the internet has opened my eyes so much more to other people's perspectives and made me much more empathetic and understanding and hopefully a better ally and activist because of the things that I'm learning that I don't, I know people have always been doing that work and it's so important to acknowledge that, but I honestly don't know if I would have either known or thought to, I think that some of that definitely falls on my responsibility to seek out those resources, but I don't know if I would have to be perfectly honest with you. And I, I think that we can already see that empathy and that worldview in Gen Z and then the younger generations. And I love it. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's happening and it's, it's so exciting. Oh yes. (laughs) Yeah. So last question to wrap up, I'm asking everyone to encourage others to break free of this hustle culture that we all live in. I would love for you to share Mm -hmm. something to kind of inspire others that you love to do that doesn't necessarily bring you a profit that just brings you joy. What's, what's your favorite? I love this. And I love this, especially because I'm notorious for feeling like I need to commodify hobbies and I have made it my goal the last like year, year and a half to try to not do that. I don't always succeed. I I try to pretend I I don't have that goal, but 
lately, the two big things I've been very interested in have been plants. Plants bring me so much joy. I used to kill any plant that even looked my direction. (laughs) And because of YouTube, my cat is playing and dropping my, dropping my book because of YouTube. I've learned so much more and I've done a very good job at not commodifying that hobby. And I've recently gotten back into reading. I used to love reading in high school. It was like my escape. I, my parents couldn't send me to my room as a punishment because I would just go in my room and read. I'd be like, thankful yeah, same. Yeah. That no one was going to bother me. <laughs> when I read. And I lost a lot of that joy for it. I think the more that like we had to read for school and there were certain things that I had to read, I just lost a lot of that. So that's been coming back a lot recently and that. it's been amazing. So. Yes. I love that so much. And especially like I was a history major in college talk about ruining your love for reading forced to read like an entire novel a week. Like it was crazy. Mm. It was so crazy. And I took a very long break from reading books and now I'm like getting back into it the past couple of years. It's so fun. And I love it so much. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. So tell us where people can find you and any resources that you offer and all of that. Yeah. So so I am on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok at the Avocado Toast Budget. And I also, I have a ton of free guides. I have free playlists that go step-by-step through everything. But if you want just like a one-stop shop, give me something that is going to walk me through how to budget, save, invest, pay off debt, everything. I have my financial survival guide. You can find that either at the avocadotoastbudget.com or on any of my social media platforms. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you so much taking the time out to share and I appreciate all of your content on social media, everything that you do. Thank Thank you. you. Thank Thank you you so so much. much. Oh, I had such a fun time. This was amazing. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out for another episode of a sunny side up life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a review. Five-star reviews are what help the podcast grow. Don't forget to check out the episode show notes for links to everything that we talked about today, as well as tons of free resources to help you on your financial independence journey, like my monthly newsletter, budgeting challenges, fun downloads, and more. Head over to a sunnysideuplife.com to get started. And if you want to keep up with me in the day to day, don't forget to follow me on social social media at a sunny side up life. Well, that's all for me this week. Bye guys.